Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our inaugural podcast sponsor, Paperly. Paperly is a school management platform that helps schools fill the gaps in your traditional CIS or LMS. I've personally known the founder of Paperly for the last few years and we're thrilled to have them support the show. We'll talk a bit more about them later, but check out them on their website at paperly.io. That's P-A-P-E-R-L-Y.io. Now, let's get to today's show. Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kelly, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Today's guest is Tracy Ezard, who many, many, many many moons ago was an assistant principal and over the last 17 years has built her own consultancy in school leadership, publishing three books in the process and becoming one of Australia's leading educational consultants. So without further ado, let's get to it. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really great to be here on this early morning. People won't know that, I suppose, but maybe they, they probably do, you, you're regular listeners. So a lot earlier for you on the other side of the country, but great to be here. Now, we always love to start with uh, your professional journey so far, you know, your experience as a teacher and leader in schools and obviously the, uh, the jump out of schools and the journey you've gone on to build your business over the last kind of 15 years or so. Yeah, I, it's journeys are always interesting. I'm always fascinated hearing people's journeys of how they got particular places. And there's so much in there that, that makes you who you are now, isn't there? You know, the fabric of you, your journey. So, yeah, I was always, you know, determined to be a teacher. I loved teaching. Um, I just loved working with, with uh, students. And I was um, very much into music. Which I think you are too, Matt. Uh, that's part of your um, your your fabric, yep, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, yep. And uh, one of the things that I always loved about kids is is the joy that they they have when they're just doing something that um, lights them up. So um, I loved doing the the performing arts stuff. I was also a generalist primary teacher, um, and. I was in the days, decades ago, where when I first started, you had a number on the registry, you know, so you, you had your TO number, but it actually made that when you wanted to go for a job, you had to have the highest number to get the job. Now, that seems like eons ago, and there's probably a lot of people listening that go, I have never experienced that. Uh, but I was also in the time where you, we started to transition to merit selection, and so um, I became, I, I had various schools in, um, in Melbourne and out in the country and uh, I became a leading teacher um, quite early in my career compared to everyone else because uh, there, there were there some of us that were able to get positions a lot earlier than if we had have just waited, like I'm talking 20 years earlier. Um, so that was, that was really interesting because you had to develop skills of um, being able to lead in a way that did not at all um, create this environment where, well, what are you telling me what to do, um, you know, with, with people far, far more experienced. So I know there's so many teachers that experience that as they move into leadership. But back then it was really stark because uh, we were a really ageing population of, of uh, profession back then. Um, and so I, I think that was a really interesting sort of journey when I reflect on it of how do you how do you create a we with 
uh, people and I think that really set me on the journey of more collaborative leadership uh, rather than the old tell leadership and I had some great exemplars as well. I did a teacher release to industry program for a year as well. I worked in the automotive industry as a project manager and it was a great program set up where you uh, applied for a job. There were 50 of us and you had to go through an interview process and you went out into industry. Industry played half your wage and the department played the other half of the wage. And the idea was to build professional development. It was a professional development scheme. And then you would bring your skills back into the the department. So I was in the Victorian State uh, State Department. And it went for about 10 years. It was a brilliant program. And I was in there for a while. Went back as assistant principal in my school. Um, And again, was, I think, one of the first assistant principals to get pregnant. Um, So, which I think that, you know, the department, oh, what do we do with that? Uh, Pregnant assistant principal. Uh, How does that work? (laughs) But again, I was just fortunate to have a brilliant uh, leader, my my boss Phil. He he was he said, "Do you want to come back and job share?" So I did for a while, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, but I decided to actually resign, and the person that I was job sharing with, Kerry, was was brilliant. Uh, and I wanted I didn't want to stymie her, I suppose, um, in terms of going back on leave. So I I left. And after a little while, after having with my baby, um, I started working part time in my brother-in-law's fine dining restaurant in Melbourne. So I was business manager um, in uh, at Ezard Restaurant, which was a three hat, two hat restaurant in Melbourne. And the learning curve was humongous. Um, yep, straight up, like thrown in the deep end. Not just you know working a restaurant, but working in one of the best restaurants in Melbourne. And I, I absolutely loved it. It. It was scary and it was exciting at the same time. And I learned so much around how what we do in schools around culture, around developing people is actually so transferable. And I'd learned that in the automotive industry anyway. Uh, but it was really great to be able to bring those skills as well as be in this learning space. So, and then I just started missing working with, I'd always done a lot of staff development and I just was missing that. And uh so after three years of working in the restaurant, I decided to start my own uh, business and do a lot of work learning around emotional intelligence, learning, uh, uncovering the patterns of leadership because I've seen so many different styles uh, along the way and uh, started doing leadership programs in education, but also in health and across different sectors. Um, and that's where the, the business really kicked off. And um, yeah, 2005, that was. So it's an interesting uh, journey when I look back on it, but I, I wouldn't swap it for anything. I can tell you it was just, it's just been quite amazing. Now, I've got a few questions I want to unpack, but I'm sure yeah, Matt, got Matt does questions. too. <laughs> I got a few questions. Luke, you go first. You go first. All right. Well, I guess I, I'm interested in, um, you know, that, that out, of the, out of the school experience and then how transformative that was for you, especially going back in, but then that concept of not everyone's got it in them to start a business and you know was it uh the experiences you had in the restaurant you know what was it about that that kind of was like oh i could do this for myself i've been reflecting on this with my son who's who's 21 and he's started a personal training business um a year or so ago which is pretty amazing for um such a young person and uh, I realised that, you know, we are surrounded by people who run their own businesses. So my dad has run a business, his own business, since I was a, a very, very small child. 
Um, my my father-in-law was a business owner. You know, my mother-in-law a business owner. Um, my my brother-in-law a business owner. My my partner owned a business. So I've I I was sort of almost like the standout, having a normal normal nine to five job, really. Um, and it's interesting when I look back at that transition into running my own business. It didn't seem to be a a, a step. It wasn't. I, I had someone that uh, a really good friend of mine, Donna McGeorge, who's um, uh, in this space, and she's a productivity expert. She's an amazing, amazing woman. And I first met her doing an HR course when I was working in the restaurant. And I looked at what she was doing front of room. It was an RE course, so Australian Human Resource Institute course. And I looked at her, and I just went, "That's what I want to do. I want to get back working with." And adults' excitement. She was a brilliant. She is a brilliant uh, trainer facilitator, and I sort of just took the leap. And, and she and I just connected. You know, we sort of spotted each other's eyes over the room and went, "Boom, we're in love," uh, and we're still really, really very close mates all these all these years later. And she said, "Why don't you come and work with me?" Now I didn't work with her full time, but what I did is I did some work with her, and she worked with really some big companies like KPMG and um, and and so I, I sort of got my training wheels happening with the guidance of, of her and her business while I was going back to education and it was at the time where in Victoria we had a blueprint of education, the first time that real strong strategy came with a, blue, uh, a pillar of leadership and I went back to uh, a few people, Coralie Pratt who um, is the Victorian president of ACEL um, and her position then was a principal coming out and driving leadership in the region. I said, we really, I think we, we, this is missing for assistant principals and leading teachers at leadership development. She goes, I absolutely agree. And with the assistant principal network, we created a program that I started running out. So I had that support of Donna and her business, um, my business starting support around me from my family of expertise in running businesses. Um, but really, I, you know, when I look back at it, I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I, I, I just have always had that approach of, well, you don't know until you give it a go. Absolutely. And as, I think as you sort of speak too, it's really clear through your passion and the way you've told your story, a couple of things. One, uh, life's not linear, um, you know, and that beyond teaching, it doesn't have to be, you know, A plus B plus C. But through that journey, you've really been able to really capture your why, you know, that relationships, um, you know, collaboration, the concept of mm. personal growth and professional mm. growth for people, mm. let's just say people, not necessarily oh, school leaders, but also impact, you know, what, what what's next. And, and it was through those experiences that you've just described, we're able to kind of really solidify that why for you. Does that resonate? It sure does. It sure does. And, and I think... Um, I, I think for a long time I was really unconscious about that, but I do know it was almost like a, it was a gut thing when all of a sudden I would go, no, it's actually time for me to do something different or to or to tweak. You know, I've always some people are really planned around their careers right now, now, now. I've always been, oh, there's a door that's open. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, what's behind there? Okay, give it a go. You know, and uh, so that's always been. So when you say it's not linear, man, absolutely. Like it's just you know, uh, oh, uh, what what is it that that is filling filling me up? You know what's and that's that is you're absolutely right. That's what really drives my my why now is I I just think we should all have the um, uh, have the um, what's the word I've lost it I've lost my word but anyway we 
we've all got a right. That's it. That's what I think I'm saying. We've got a right to ha- have joy with what we do in our work. Why should work be something that we get up and we go, I do not want to go, you know. I think that's so sad. And so the cultural work I do in schools is is really about how do we connect back to the thing that brings us joy, which is usually seeing that learning spark in students and helping to fire that up. So it doesn't matter whether it's in education or it's in health or I go and work in government, you know. And sometimes, you know, I'm working with a team, they're doing data testing of a really, you know, huge big IT program now do I know anything about that no but do I know what can happen when we get super stressed in terms of the relationship stuff so that it's really hard for a project team to work yes can we talk about that and help them move through that yep because I do believe that everyone deserves to um, be able to flourish at work and so that's that's really driven the why I think for me and you've started to describe their almost what a day looks like too, you know, how you then transfer yeah. that why into work. You know, can you give us a, a sense, you know, for the listeners out there too, you know, that are listening from a school context, what does a day in the life of a consultant look like? Coffee, 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 coffee. Co- coffee, bit of lunch here, <laughs> one at three o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, if only. I, I have to really, yeah, I try to really protect some time in my diary to be able to think for starters. So um, to be able to sit and go, okay, what have I seen? What have I noticed? What am I thinking about? And then give myself ta- time to create models or, or stories or, or things that will then help the people that I work with because there's there's always gold in that. So for the last couple of weeks, for example, I've just come back from Singapore. Um, I did a keynote and a masterclass at a Future Makers conference over there. And so I was in the middle of 400 amazing educators. So just hearing their stories, they had a couple of teach meets uh, go on and, and just to hear that was fantastic. So I get to go and do my stuff, but I also get to soak up Again, the, the culture of a school or the culture of educators, just having that conversation. Um, yesterday, I was online with meetings all day and a two-hour workshop um, and a couple of coaching sessions, and it was all day um, chopped in. So I have a great business manager, and she manages my diary because I stuff it up, basically. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not allowed near it. Oh, Matt, I can see you pointing at yourself. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but what she tries to really do is make it that... My, I can focus um, and have blocks of time where I can focus on different things. And then, of course, going out and working for a whole day with a school around their buzz work, which is uh, the collaborative, deep collaborative learning cultures. That might be a whole day in a school. Um, but I've got a ferocious warmth group mentoring program starting up uh, in a couple of weeks. It's it's about the, the, fifth, the fourth and the fifth one I've had. I've done them over COVID. And they're four two-hour sessions uh, with women. So it's a women ferocious warmth group. And so I just have a, a half-hour connect up with people before we, we do it um, and we sort of set the scene, we find out what outcomes they're after. It's a real journey program. It's not a cookie-cutter one. It's it's a it's a journey program. And so that time to connect with people is um, was was yesterday. And then today I'm talking with... Uh, with you and there'll be other meetings and I'll probably, yep, nick down and get some really good chai latte down the road um, and uh, try to get outside for a bit of um, um, sunshine. But I love that it is so varied, you know. I really, I love um, 
that my work is completely different. Going and working with principal networks um, and helping them sort of come together or school networks around how they're working together. Every day is absolutely different for sure. We've heard a lot about the good stuff there, Tracy, like the, the really interesting yeah. things that you get to do. What do you find is like the most difficult part of kind of, you know, working sometimes in isolation, you know, working for yourself, like working mm. in your own business? What, like mm. if you had to kind of name something that was like, that's hard and I don't really love doing that bit of it. Yeah. Well, there's always the paperwork. <laughs> and... Um, you know, for a long time, I did all of that stuff. So I've been the one boring of boring stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I look, I joined a great thing a few years ago called Thought Leaders Business School. And um, I joined that in when it first started, 2013, 2014, put together by um, a really brilliant guy, Matt Church, who, who does uh, some work working with educators around Australia, especially in New South Wales, and Pete, Peter Cook. And that was designed for people like me who work by ourselves. Our IP is is really who we we are a big part of our work, and that business school has helped me to create a business that is helps me with the stuff that I hate doing. So you know, I do now have a good team. I've got a great business manager. I do have a good bookkeeper. I did my I did my own MYOB for years that's despite having a partner who was an accountant so I don't know how that works but anyway um well, what's going on there I know what's going on there and yeah he did do it for quite a number of years but in the first part especially when he was working full-on full-time um I did all that and it was really hard slog I do find sometimes that um especially over COVID for example my role for my um my clients, I've, I've tried to be incredibly attention out as much as I can. You know, 2020 when everything hit, I just went into, because all my diary just went to nothing. So, you know, keeping an eye on cash flow coming in, you know, how was I going to pay uh, to stay in my house? That sort of stuff. Um, really, I was the, the only breadwinner in the house. That, that, that was a really big struggle. So that can play on me in terms of how do I make sure that I've got a sustainable business so that's why the business school was really great for helping me create that that's why the three books came out I probably wouldn't have done the three books if I hadn't gone there um, and it helped to shape that a little bit so and the other thing that's really helped around the isolation is I have good squads around me and so um, you know I'm, a, I'm off for two days I build it into my diary um, to a retreat and three days actually because we're doing Sunday as well with three of my besties Donna that I mentioned before being one of them another one Lynn Kazali and Mari Burgess they're all brilliant in their own fields in their own businesses we come together and we just really support each other personally and professionally and we wouldn't have got through the pandemic Without doing that, we were just on Zoom all the time until we found our feet. Um, and so um, with my with my clients last year, over the last two years, one of the things I really had to watch was my own energy because that's something that with consultancy, I think, and, and look, I tend not to even call it consultancy. It's just uh, it's my practice. Um, that With my practice, my, my job is really often to help my, my clients stay up with their whole schools, with their individuals or teams. And so my ability to put out the energy that they that helps us to stay in them, I've got to look after myself. And so that can be quite tricky sometimes. 
Absolutely, and and um, and this is great to hear this story because as a schoolie, you know, you get so sucked in, and you kind of imagine what's happening outside the silo for a business owner or a consultant, but you yeah. have no idea that that, that those you yeah. know, added layers of, of complexity and stress. I'd love to kind of segue now into thinking uh, a little bit more about your work in schools and. You know, one of the, the big things you focus in on is, is culture. Um, you know, and I think you're, you're like many um, many educators. You could walk into a school, and you can tell. Um, so, what do you look for? What do you listen for when you walk in the win the doors of a school for the first time? What are those signs of a healthy culture, or perhaps not a healthy culture? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why my first book was called The Buzz. Uh, it's it's that I just uh, you know I. From being in schools and then working with different schools, I, I just started going, wow, there feels like there's there's real comparison stuff going on here and what are the patterns? And that's where I created the the buzz framework, which is what's the what's the collective mindset that we can that, that we bring, what's the compelling environment that we can feel, and what's the authentic dialogue that we actually talk about. So it's they sit sort of sit under there. <clears throat> um, I notice that when I first walk in with, you know, say if so say, say if I'm being brought into a school. Uh, to work with them around culture or collaborative, deep collaborative learning cultures, PLC, whatever it might be. I, I just even notice, do people look at me when I walk down the corridor or when I walk into the staff room or do they go, oh, that's that woman, she's going to make us change? <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we and, go, here we go. <laughs> yeah, that's one. it. Oh, God. You know, that's it, yeah. And, you know, and I, I've worked with a number of schools where they hold it like a badge of honour that they're difficult to work with. <laughs> now, you know, and it, which is really interesting um, uh, because it's it just speaks so much to what's gone on in the school over the years. So I sort of look for what's, what's the what's – do I see the values lived as well? Every school has got these, you know. Do do I actually feel them from the people as they, 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 they see me? Like when I was over in Singapore the other day, I I turned up really early because the taxi got me there super super early, um, and you know as soon as someone saw me, she popped her bag down, welcome, welcome, let me take you down to where the conference is. Um, she could not have been more helpful, and every single person I met that day was like that. Um, uh, so what I see there is there's an openness there. So I look for openness. Uh, I also I also listen for language. That's a really big thing I listen for around culture. And then we talk about it absolutely. So so I don't want to, people to think that I I hide this away and this is something that I go ha 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 and I'm judging. I'm, I absolutely am not. It's it's this is the context which in which people are teaching and working in, whether they're a teacher or a support person, and that the students are learning in. So what do I notice? So when we work together, I will say to people, look, I I listen to language. Do I hear a lot of uh, possibility? Um, can optimism? will, let's go, or I'm open to this, or do I hear a lot of can't, won't, the problems, what do I focus on? And um, and even if there are problems, are we willing to have the conversation? So again, the, the quality of the conversation is pivotal to the quality of culture. Um, and does it feel warm and inviting? That's some of the stuff I listen for and look for. Now, I've got a question I've been dying to ask, and that is, Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to kind of understand or know. Like, have have you ever walked into a school and been invited in, and then kind of quickly realised that it's the leadership that's the problem, 
like the, the principal's yeah. the problem or the deputy is the problem and you kind of how do you kind of navigate that situation when actually the problem is coming from the top yeah it's um fortunately i don't find it a lot now i think it's really great i think we've we've come such a long way with school leadership and understanding what is good great school leadership and what we need the, the biggest challenge for us, and this is where Ferocious Warmth came from, um, you know, is that head and heart is really important and not one over the other. And so we have to have self-awareness and that's a very strong emotional intelligent skill. <laughs> and so for some leaders, that's actually where they need to develop. So it, it can be really tricky. Are they open to are they open to learning? So that's the key, I think, you know, that... Um, if we don't have a, if we have a closed leadership loop, it's going to be a really hard struggle, and and sometimes they are just not ready. And so you've got people that really want to shift. They, you've got really people that really want to shift the culture, but they just feel like every time they try to have the open conversations, the more robust debate, or even just raise that raise something, they get shut down. Um, so what I, uh, when I work, I, I do a critical friend program with, with schools um, that is more long, more long term uh, around culture. And there will always be a really strong leadership component. So uh, because culture is so dependent on people of influence, and that isn't always the people, absolutely never actually, the people just in leadership, but they have such a big um, uh, part of, of it. But I also know that, um, so, th so that's a big part, building capacity uh, in leadership is a big part of that. When the top person is absolutely not open to changing, then I have had a situation where I've, I've had to say, look, un unless you're prepared to take these changes, it's no use doing this work. It is no use doing this work, which I think sucks <laughs> for everyone else in the school. But I'm not, uh, I'm not prepared, I suppose, to put people through this uh, a process where I can see that the major linchpin to the change is not able to change and it's, it's not ready for that school to do that work because of that. Now, there's only so much control you have over someone, you know, not over someone, but over something from the outside. Uh, but I can, I can, you know, have the harder conversation with them around, around that, but if they're not willing to step into it, um, there's 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 only so much I can I can do I can shore the next leadership team the next part of the leadership team up around it and that's what I have done um, and build their capacity as much as possible uh, and and not walk away so I certainly don't want to walk away uh, but there has been one time where I've gone actually this is this is not going anywhere I'm not prepared for you to invest anymore um, uh, and for people to invest their energy in it if that shift isn't prepared to be changed, mm. uh, that shift. So. Mm. And just on that, I just this one bit you sort of described there, you know, as a potential barrier um, to, to a successful program and is that, that, that notion of self-awareness and openness, um, you know, and I'm really interested, particularly in your coaching and the leadership development that we do, um, is how do you coach someone through developing that EQ skill of self-awareness, self-insight, to openness so that they are then ready for the next step uh, in the journey. Can you sort of, you know, unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because we, we know that self-awareness is so, um, um, 
it's it, it's hard, you know, uh, and. I, I just am having more and more of these conversations over the last four or five years and it's absolutely where ferocious warmth has come from, where when we have this self-awareness, what goes with it is a strong awareness of my impact on others. And so some of the conversations that I have is let's let's look at the different parts of, I have these different parts that come out when we're out of balance of ferocious warmth. You know, um, do I become a fearsome leader? Or do I become an in-mesh leader? So a fearsome leader, just basically, you know, autocrat, ask, just tell people. People hide away. They have no voice. The in-mesh leader is so involved in relationships. So the fearsome leader is too much head. The in-mesh leader is too much heart. And so we are in unhealthy rescuer relationships. Um, and and so it's the impact on those on the culture. It's the impact on those we lead that I try to get people thinking about. Uh, and I've been finding that with Ferocious Want, there's a lot of success of people going, oh, geez, I think I actually do create that when I look at it. So I think it is giving people mental models to be able to work through to really sit and go, okay, what's the impact I'm having as a leader? Do I see this outside? But also to give them some opportunity to um, have some conversations with colleagues to unpack things or, to, or with me so I, I get people to look at their strengths and their shadows and um, really always to go well what's the outcome you're after here and bring then in things like the neuroscience of conversations the the emotional intelligence tools that will help them just break stuff open um, and and you know they they say I, I do a lot of work around psychological safety and Timothy R. Clark that I, I um, have worked with him learned from him uh, in, in their research around psychological safety, um, they say that 5% of narcissistic type leaders are not coachable. You know, so there will always be this little, there'll be this little bit of, you know, and when I ask people, have you ever worked for a fearsome leader that stays in that mode all the time? I, I get really saddened by the amount of hands that go up. Um, in fact, I had someone come up to me after a conference uh, a little while ago and just with a bit of a tear in her eye, actually, and she said, thank you. What you've given me is a label of an experience I had with a leader and I hadn't been able to codify it in any way or make sense of it in any way and you've, you've given that to me um, to, to help me to be able to heal a bit. And, and this is what I worry about is that people with that real lack of self-awareness um, some of them have got impacts that make people feel like they're being stomped on um, and, they're, and they're not flourishing. So um, how do we open that up? You know, as coaches, that's always a really challenging conversation, isn't it? But I, I think per, part of it is how do we, how do we really talk to people around, are they willing to go on this journey? Yeah, you know. I think that's really interesting. I think you're and the ferocious warmth frame, the infinity symbol, and you know, um, identifying that we're all on the journey, and that we move and lean in and out of different leadership identities based on context. But I think what you're you're saying is uncovering the story and with a leader and saying, "This is where you are now," or "Where do you think you are now? Where do you want to be?" And how might we get you there? Um, you know, and I think it's coming back to that. Um, but I think that that story and self-reflection piece is, sounds like it's such an important part of of attesting whether someone's open or not. Like if Absolutely. They, if they're not going to do that, well, then, hey, they're, they're in that, that percentage that we just can't work with. 
Yeah, and look, some of them, uh, some of the people we work with, they need the research around it, and that will buy them in. You know, I've got someone in a team that I'm working at the moment is very linchpin to the team, wants to really move up in leadership, but his style absolutely is putting people often in terms of they feel very judged by him, and so and and he's very analytical, he's very head driven. So for me, my job. Part of my job is to say, okay, so this is where you want to head to. So that absolute current desired state you're talking about there, Matt's critical to set up. Uh, or as a team, this is what we want. Let's have a look at the, what the research also says around the impact of lack of psychological safety, the impact of um, not deep listening to people or, or lack of empathy or whatever it might be. Um, there are, you know, we're head and heart people. We're, we're, we're driven by stories and data. So how do we, how do we bring those together and really understand this person actually really needs some evidence to even open the door a little bit. It's no good talking about just the stories and the and the, the feeling stuff. You're going to get some hard thinking stuff in there for them to understand the impact of behaviour that might be going on. I'm really interested in, um, you know, obviously you go in and out of schools, you know, sometimes there might be, you know, I imagine weeks or sometimes a couple of months maybe between a visit. You know, how do you kind of measure the impact that you're making when maybe th- there's a time lapse, you know, between visits yeah. and kind of, I guess as a secondary part of that, you know, h- how do you measure that impact in terms of when you go back to understanding the value that you're bringing or, you know, from the other side of the, the fence, the value that the school is paying? You yeah. know, and, and so how do you determine that for you and therefore for the school? Yeah, it's it's such a tricky one around this, you know, really, really hard to, you don't see the hard bottom line that says, you know, say in corporate, you've got more revenue coming in or whatever. Um, it's uh, f- first off, how do we make sure that there's support in between the gaps as well? So I have an online Buzz Academy that has got a whole range. It's got um, over 20 little video vignettes for me. It's got a whole lot of resources. And that way the, the it helps to build the middle leader's capacity in a school to be able to have these conversations in their teams. So it helps that continuation of that. Um, so um, I think what do you build around the gaps? Uh, you know, access, sending resources, all that sort of thing. But the thing that I track for is... First off, there's some hard data. So there's, um, I have a diagnostic. It's had over 10,000 educators go through it now around collaborative learning cultures called the buzz. And so there's some, there's data there that we can do a before and after around stuff. Although I tend not to say before and after because I think it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't see my job is to just come in and go, here's a program and now I'm out. It's just that a part of your growth as a culture, your evolution as a leadership team, whatever it might be, is that my, my part in here is part of your journey. But as professionals, you are the owners of your journey. And, and so the diagnostic helps. But the thing that I look for is when, when schools say to me, yeah, we, we put up an acting leadership position and we, had, we were inundated with people who applied for it. Last year, that didn't occur. 
you know, and all um, our, our professional learning community teams uh, where just it's so much smoother us being able to have that deeper conversation around data and uh, or, or we're just we're, we're seeing each other and valuing each other as human beings far more. It's a nicer place for us to walk into and work. It feels much better. I worked with a team the other day that I, I started working in at the end of 2020 and they were in all sorts of pain, like really Everyone was so stressed and the culture had not been strong already and they were just cracking and there was really fragile behaviour going on, which, and I call fragile behaviour, can be people feeling really upset and and cry, but at the other end, fragile as in shouting at each other. Both of those have got fragility around them. Um, it's high levels of stress and which makes people behave in ways that are not very useful. And so I went in and did a critical friend program uh, and and just raised stuff that said, you have got to take on this. You know, I can't just come in and wave a magic wand and you're all, all fixed. You've got to do the hard work. And so it's getting that engagement at the start of, yeah, we're willing to do this. We need to do this. This is really important to do this so that they own the changes and then we'll do some reflections on what is the difference you can see when you've been doing this work uh, and where is it that you still need to do the work. So I will, uh, we'll get people, I'll get people to collaboratively have conversations around, well, what are we doing currently that's really helping whatever we're trying to achieve? What do we need to now work on them, uh, ourselves um, to continue the work? What's next for us? And so it doesn't become, uh, this is what I do and this is what you do. It's actually, what are we trying to achieve here? So it is hard to measure hard data, but it also comes out student opinion surveys, staff opinion surveys, show shifts uh, around things like trust and um, boundary writing or leadership, trust in leadership. Uh, all those things are the more hard-edged things you can look at. Um, but it's the it's it's the quality of the conversations. The uh, We have the ability now to talk a lot deeper with each other to challenge each other's thinking and have more challenging conversations which is really the work that a lot of schools that have been working in pretty much high performance are doing now is how do I, I call it how do we move from that great land and nice that we've got that really good collaborative culture into a really good robust positive challenge culture where we're always wanting to push the the status quo and in a way that's motivating exciting and um, it doesn't have that walking on eggshells that we have to do. We just get in there and we have really good, I call it the rid muscle, the robust ideological debate. Um, and we don't have to worry about the fact that uh, if I say that, does that mean you won't like me, you won't include me, um, you won't talk to me for five days? Uh, because we've got we've got far over that in terms of psychological safety. And is that challenging to articulate that value when you're going into a place for the first time and you're kind of saying, this is the price of the program, you know, whatever that happens to be, and the principal or whoever's, in, you know, engaging you doesn't really know where the end where the end game is. It's yeah. not like you're buying a product off the shelf and you know exactly the outcome that's going to be. We're going to be 8% better. You know, is that hard for you to articulate or is it just because you've been around for, you know, a few years and that, you know, that, that word of mouth and other principals talking understands that value? Yeah, you can, like, test some, like having, being able to say, hey, give this principal a call because they did, we're in this very similar position and this is the work that we did and this is the work that they did to complement it and to work on, um, then that's absolutely such a big, a big one because, I, and I will always, when I put in this is what I think we should do, I will always say this is the value of this program. 
you know, you will have teams that are able to have deeper conversations around teaching and learning. You will have a greater sense of connectedness uh, within your staff, whatever it might be. So I absolutely articulate the value of of that. Um, and I do think that, yeah, word of mouth, um, other, other people's experiences, uh, people go, oh, we worked with Tracy at another school and it really made a difference in the culture. You know, we, I, I think as educators, we're very much experienced people. Um, and, and this is where my stuff does, I think, sit quite differently to a lot of people in education that are around the theory and the academic side of it. It's the what's the real life culture that we're living in? What's the real life leadership we're giving? And how do we really ascertain what that current state is and there's a lot of diagnostics people can do to support around that um, but the value is getting in and having the conversations and getting people shifting behaviors and more than that the main work is around shifting beliefs we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor paperly in your school is there a constantly increasing administrative workload being undertaken by staff i'm sure there's double handling and frustrating processes using maybe outdated technology actually is your school already paperless well, if it's not, and you actually want to save some trees, Paperly can help. Paperly is an integrated one-stop shop of intelligent workflows, processes, and applications that can help your staff do what they do best, and that's ensure there are great learning outcomes for students. Forms, excursion management, calendars, and much, much more. Check out paperly.io, that's P-A-P-E-R-L-Y dot I-O today. And have a chat with Dan, the founder, about a free trial for your school. And we'd really like to thank Paperly for their support of the Ed Leaders podcast and our mission to bring authentic conversations in K-12 education to life. Now, back to today's show. And I love that notion, you know, of of quality over quantity, um, you know, in terms of, of the deep dialogue. And I think that's a nice segue and to pick up some points um, there. You know, schools now um, are talking about workplace culture more than ever um, you know and some schools are working on strategies um, particularly you know schools that um, you know I've been part of you know gender equity uh, gender equality uh, respectful relationships um, you know toxic behaviors we're dealing with the burnout um, COVID and we're dealing with a different generation that expects a different work environment in terms of flexibility and no I don't want to do sport on a Saturday um, you know there's a, there's a range of things that are requiring leaders to think more deeply uh, about their workplace strategy. But underpinning that for me is, is two things, and you bring these out, um, I think, quite strongly in, in the work that you do, is professional trust and psychological safety. So I wonder if you could unpack those two notions as the underpinning of a, a healthy culture that allows us to explore um, a flexible workplace yeah, strategy, okay. if you like. So I think, you know, professional trust, um, some of the, you know, research that's um, been done on that, and Brian Caldwell led, led a really... Um, and Fiona Long, you led a really interesting research project for Aitzel, uh quite a few years ago now on where, where does trust look in the literature? And um, it really concurred what I've experienced in my uh, work that when we create an environment where we're asking really good inquiry questions of ourselves around culture, around whatever it might be, around teaching and learning, and we create the environment for that dialogue to be listened to, to be authentically uh, curious about, uh, to create a safe space for people to have a voice, then the 
the professional trust builds at the same time as the work builds. So rather than some people go, we have to have the trust to be able to have that conversation. Um, and sometimes I'll go, oh, you know, uh, someone will say to me, you know, this might go a bit pear-shaped when we, if we're going to have this conversation. I just And, and I just I say to them, just go with it, just be open and, and just know that what you model around listening to people's perspe- perceptions will create an environment of safety for them to be more open and honest about what they need. So professional trust builds as we create more collaborative conversation. Yeah, they, 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 you, don't, you don't do one without the other, but they also build with each other. So the psychological safety piece, and this is why I like Timothy R. Clark's four stages of psychological safety. It's the one I use the, the, the most. Amy Edmondson's work from Harvard, her research is really critical around this as well, and I love her work. Um, but when I read... Timothy Clark's work, I just went, oh, that so resonates with um, how I see the world. Um, and he has four stages. The first one being inclusion, safety. And this is the one I love, especially around a lot of the subject matter that you were talking about, Matt, with uh, gender and uh, inclusion and cultural um, inclusion, is that it is about me being feeling that I belong, not because of what I bring or what I can contribute or my worthiness, but because of a human I have worth. And I, I think it's just a it, it's just a beautiful statement for our classrooms, for our parent communities, and for our staff room that says, just because you're human, you are welcome here, and we will embrace you. Now, there's a there's a quid pro quo that says, as long as you do me no harm, <laughs> you know. So that uh, that you know, there's there's the, that we come with this best intent. Uh, you know, I was I was reading something on LinkedIn from uh, a colleague of mine, Osman Ma, and he works a lot with his um, uh, Burmese. But he works a lot with uh, people who've come in from Asia around um, creating an environment where they are thriving. And he was talking about the fact that when he first started in his role, when he first came to Australia, he brought his humour in, but they fell really flat and no one got them. And I, I was really sad when I read that because he's, he's just this gorgeous, effervescent person who's just got so much life in him. I thought, how sad that the culture couldn't see, couldn't understand that this was this beautiful humour coming in. And so how do we have conversations around around that? You know, I got I got asked that at a conference last last week where they said, you know, how do we – some people really – we were talking about the concept of challenge and and – conflict and you know that some people are right up for a good debate and others aren't you know and culturally it was a quite a cultural diverse school how, how do we um how do we how do we deal with that and I said well you talk about it it always comes down to you talk about it yeah, uh, right. same with the any subject it's it's if we don't talk about it we make all these assumptions that we can never unpack but if I say to you, Luke, you know, what is it that helps you to have the harder conversations or the more provocative conversations? What what works for you? And then I ask you, Matt, and then I share mine. And we go, okay, where do we make a Venn diagram and stick what we can do in the middle? And how do we also stretch ourselves to actually get more used to the way another person does it as well? And so we're all building our capacity to have good debate. So it always comes down to, are we talking about the right stuff? I'm really curious in kind of listening to you kind of unpack that as to, you know, why is it that in education or in schools we have these behaviours 
in the first place? Um, you know, is it common in any other or all other, you know, um, you know, workplaces, you know, different industries? Or is it that there's something more intricate about education and, and the experiences that people have in their classroom when it's, when it's just them and, you know, they get to have, you know, a, a different level of control over most of their day? Um, and it, it, does that impact why we have so much of, you know, the, the culture that, that you're describing and that, and that needs changing? I, I think it does. I, like, I think these issues do happen everywhere. Uh, great culture also happens everywhere. But we do have um, a bit of what we call in uh, business called the irony of our expertise. And so one of the biggest things when I go in and work with schools uh, is how do we get over our fear of failure, judgment and shame? Because we do go in and we work often by ourselves in our classrooms. Uh, and when we have team teaching going on, we'll see that some of the first things that go is this fear of someone watching us. And so I think schools that have broken through that then move on to breaking through the fear of stuffing up. Now, and the resonance that always happens when I say to teams, you know, what is it we always say to students? And someone say, you know, we learn from our mistakes. I said, yeah, and how good are we at that? And everyone goes, we suck, you know, <laughs> we suck. So I, I just get people to have a bit of fun around stuffing up and just, you know, how do we how do we do that with, with more lightness and actually go, what do we learn out of that? So, you know, this is why the great stuff of uh, inquiry and, you know, Simon Breaksby's learning sprints and all that stuff around how do we get really good at going, let's give something a try. I You know, it's something that I really push with, with anyone trying to ch do some change is pose things as pilots or experiments and that seems to give us this this um, okayness to go did it work did it not work no I reckon we should do that all the time but we seem to be really fearful of that so one of the things that um, I think we should always be looking at is that whilst growth mindset we talk about a lot um, and I, I love the work of Professor Dweck bringing that to our attention around that. But I think the work that we do around really deep cultures in schools is about building our collective capacity. So a rising tide builds, uh, a rising uh, tide lifts all boats. That when we get to that space of a collective growth mindset, wow, things really change. And that is that it's not just about me. And what I'm doing, it's actually about what we're doing for the good of the students. And so it brings us back to that purpose that says, I need to share what I do with my colleagues. I need to share my thinking. You know, my mantra around collaboration is collaboration is learning out loud. You know? So instead of me thinking about my pedagogical decisions here, actually when I come together for deep dialogue around, you know, a particular group that, that just aren't moving around, what are we doing around that? I've got to think out loud with my colleagues so that we can all learn out loud with each other around what's the next step. So um, uh, so I do think that there is intricacies there, Luke, that come from our backgrounds of often. Many of us have also been in the top end of the bell curve of achievement. And so um, we like to be right. We like to know everything. And yet context of the world, and this is happening across all sectors, the context of the world is we cannot be in positions of influence and assume that we know it all. So I call it our ignorant truth. 
we can't it's it, it might be our truth right now but the world is changing so much there's so much we don't know that um just to even think I've got the answers uh, shuts everyone around us down, I think. And that's really interesting to kind of backward map that idea, um, you know, of, of, you know, ignorance and, um, you know, having a closed mindset, um, fear, failure of change, um, having no self-awareness. It's all being barriers to getting to that level of high function um, and, and creating that culture of impact. What are the other things that you see in schools that are, where the system or systems in a school is actually holding people back. We've talked a lot about behaviour and disposition and conditioning, if you like. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other things that you see that are holding teachers back from reaching that state that we that we wish for them? Yeah. Oh, look, it's the it's the challenge that so many are having at the moment of just so exhausted by that that content that they've got to um, put out in the, the, the classrooms, the amount of need of students, especially now with the, the mental health challenges that are going on. Um, you know, so many brilliant teachers who have got that self-awareness, they've got that really wanting to do this. There's so many of them out there and uh, I, I, I love them because they've just got this, we so want to do this and you can just see that they just are buried under the weight of all this compliance stuff that is just um, crippling their ability to be able to have the headspace to um, come together and think more deeply around teaching and learning and or, you know, well-being or whatever it might be. So I, I just think the systems have just got to really back off, you know. The, 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 you know, the staff shortages are just killing people at the moment, you know, the things that people are having to do. I've got so much... Um, empathy for their pain at the moment. How can I support them in terms of just going, you know, if you feel a bit off, it's okay. You know, it's fair enough. What are you doing to just um, be okay with taking time and making some decisions around what needs to be pushed away? And I think that's a leadership perspective. I think it's system leadership. Um, I, we have got to make space for the professionalism of teachers to be able to flourish because at the moment, up. The professionalism of teachers is getting us from day to day, but they're they're just drowning under a sea of um, taking them away from core purpose. And being able to do this work with each other leads us to better teaching and learning. So how do we make space for that? And I think the the other piece for that space piece um, is is giving permission. Like it's actually okay to just, you know, not be okay with what's happening here in this classroom and that th this bit of curriculum is not being delivered, um, that if we don't collectively help shape the space for them to have those collaborative discussions and take, we're never going to go forward. We'll just keep getting buried in the nuts and bolts and the mud. Uh, let's get above the clouds and have a conversation. Um, but does that, that notion of permission, have you yeah. seen that play out in, oh, in some schools? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and it's because I think that, you know, people are so uh, very professional that they want to do everything possible that they can, but they, they, they're just, um, you know, just finding that that's not possible. So permission is critical. I often will say to people, um, give yourself permission just to go and do something for yourself, mm. you know, but give yourself permission to let some stuff go. And I think when leaders say that to the people that they lead, it is incredibly empowering for people to go, oh, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. So, again, it comes down to, permit. you know, uh, do we have to? 
like that's really sad, isn't it, that we have to give permission around that? And yet, because it goes back to what the question you asked, Luke, because of, you know, the system that we're in, where we are compliant, we do do stuff that says this is what we've got to do. Um, but I, I have really admired, I think, you know, taking risks, pushing against the rules has got to be what we do because the rules are being often set by people who have never stepped into a classroom. And what is that about, you know? And, you know, one of the... I've worked a couple of times with, with with policy people and I just do not get the fact that there is no time spent of people who set policy in schools to deeply understand the environment they're setting policy in. Like it does my head in and I know it does so many people's heads in. Um, and uh, I just, I, that's why I'm so, such a believer in the collective voice of principal networks, of school networks to advocate um, and to to push up to say we have got to be major players in this discussion. Um, uh, yeah, so <laughs> rant over. No, no, rant <laughs> shared and celebrated. Oh, it's yeah. fine, it's good. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a really good segue into kind of, uh, I guess, the sh- a shift in thinking. You get to spend a lot of time in a lot of schools, probably in more schools than most. Um, where do you see education going over the next five or ten years you put your kind of your future uh your future lens on Mm. that's so tricky isn't it because so much of the system would go well pretty much you know the way we've always done it um you know if if i think of say again working with uh in in principal conferences uh, a few years ago when um or even, you know, regional service groups in, in departments, things like that, when we were visioning for the future. And, you know, especially princes, principals, assistant principals, getting deputy principals, getting just really exacerbated with the top two levels of school. And that we can, you know, we can do this great um, project-based learning, the conceptual approach, um, but then we just get squished in the, the, the top two levels. And there was, there was a lot of, uh, we can't do anything about that. And so I just, there are more and more uh, advocates and the, the ATAR crumbling around its, uh, the, the work of Mon- uh, Melbourne Uni around learner profiles. Uh, how, do we, how do we actually move from that? The work, I know you've had Peter Hutton on uh, before, you know, the, it, it was, uh, my daughter went to Templestowe for a while, you know, the, the, it was a trailblazer, I was on school council, around finding the loops uh, around, around, around all that sort of stuff. You know, we need mavericks like Peter <laughs> to actually, you know, look at the loops and and create these pathways where um, we can we can we can do that. So, in the in the future, what I'm hoping for, I suppose, is that we get away from this either or conversations we always seem to have around the way to do things. You know, um, uh, the content versus concept. No, why do we have to have it as either or? You know, deep knowledge around subject area, yep, really important. But how do how can we go and and have children students go all the way through school thinking that you only do maths at maths time? You know, you 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 only look at geography thoughts when you're in geography and not bring it together in these amazing. Um, inquiry-based things that a lot of places like the big picture schools do. And, you know, so how do we just create an environment where what we're not doing is just ramming content down students, you know, into students' brains, and it's all about how, how do I get through my teaching rather than how do we allow for learning 
Um, I'm hoping that conversation is ha- had more and more and we look to the great people leading this, you know, um, and a lot of them you've had on here. And I think this is the bonus of podcasts and things like that, that ideas can spread uh, so much more. So what I'm hoping that in the future is we get more and more teachers and leaders getting their heads up getting their heads up and going, okay, instead of just going, this is what I do every day, actually what is going on in the world and am I provoking myself and ourselves around what really matters in education and that we do that at a system level as well. To our favourite or my favourite segment of the show, which is the the fabulous Fire Five, Um, you know, one word, quick idea, Tracy, no one ever listens to the rules, so just break whatever rules you you want. No one follows. So uh, with that, we'll crack on. Um, This one might be an interesting one for you. One, well, it might not be. One other consultant or program you've seen deliver great value in a school other than your own. Cool. And I reckon this is easy because I reckon there's so many people out there giving value. And and, and one of the things I really attribute myself, see, I'm not doing one word, is um, generosity and abundance, you know, that actually uh, there are things that I do, but there are some things that I do not do and I won't do because it's not my expertise. So the one that I call out, a brilliant, really good mate of mine, um, I love that we're colleagues uh, as well as competitors in a, in a way because he does culture stuff, and that's Adam Voigt and Real Schools. What they are doing in schools is phenomenal, and uh, I love him, I love his thinking, and, um, and his team is fantastic. One leader you'd like to work with again if you had the chance? Yeah, so many of them. Um, I love, and I talk about her in the book, Sarah Martin from Stonefields in Auckland. She's just a, a brilliant, brilliant, ferocious warmth leader. And she's also leading a whole lot of really great system change, uh, working in system change in New Zealand, but also creating a collaborative over there to build leadership um, and collaborative cultures. So love her. She's a brilliant principal. One thing you'd like to see changed in education? Oh, I reckon we've talked about that a little bit. I reckon yeah, it would be have, that let's 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 stop thinking about the balcony and the dance floor. Uh, uh, oh, one of Matt's favourite sayings. Yeah, and I love it too. I've written about. I talk about it all the time. Ron Heifetz, Marty Linsky, but I also have written about the fact that I think we need to get far better yep. at the art of the staircase, and that's bringing the two together. Ah, uh, you you've started something now. Ooh. You've started something. <laughs> <laughs> He only ever talks about the dance floor. Now I'm never going to hear the end of the staircase. That's it. And what do we need for that? We need really good quality, deep listening and deep conversation for that to work well. Uh, One educational narrative that you think has been underrated or overrated in the last five to ten years? Mm, Underrated would absolutely be curiosity and the joy of learning. And... uh, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw a bonus question in here. Other than, right. your, other than your three books, uh, one Ooh. book that's worth reading. Uh, to, uh, around education or anything? Whatever, yeah. Well, okay. Um, oh, there's, oh, my bookcase is chockers. <laughs> See, Matson's as well. Um, that's a really tricky one. Um, I would say for... I'm going to go for The Atlas of the Heart which is Brene Brown's new beautiful book all about the research that they've done around emotions. And one person you'd like to hear us interview on the podcast. Mm. Uh, I'd love to hear from Gavin McCormack. So he uh, was the principal at the Farmhouse Montessori School and now is 
doing a whole range of, of work and he is, I, I have never met him. Uh, but I love his thinking, I love his writing, and I just think he's one of those mavericks that we need to be listening to. We have had a few exchanges, and uh, we, we are in the midst of trying to get him on the show, so oh, hopefully we can right. make that happen for Excellent. you. Well, he's just, he's just been endorsed by Tracy, so... <laughs> exactly. He actually has exactly. to come on the show. He has I'll, to come on the show I'll, I'll now. I might zip him a LinkedIn message and go, Oi, I just dubbed you in, so can you step yeah, up? Yeah, just dubbed you in, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Excellent. Thank yeah. you. So uh, that brings an end to our show for today. I hope you have enjoyed our chat with Tracy. Uh, I know personally, I found you know listening to you and your journey, you know, both in and out of schools and the work you're doing, you know, super interesting and just you know really lighting some fires for me. Matt, you know, I know you made a couple of comments just there before. Um, anything else you want to add? Do I want to add? Um, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, you know, I just think that the, the really heart of ferocious um, warmth is that, that notion that we lead with head and heart yeah. and that requires data and story. Yeah. And I think that really resonated at the early part of our conversation. Um, the, that, that notion that professional trust and psychological safety go hand in hand, mm -hmm. that they need to, to be working in synergy to, to build that healthy culture. And actually, it's one of the very first things you said in our conversation today, that everyone has a right to have joy. Um, to work in a place where they experience joy. Um, and so that's lit my fire today. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. This has just been just a fascinating and fabulous conversation. So thanks. I've loved your questioning and your, and your, and your thoughts. And for me, I'm just going to go with one today, not like Matt who can't help himself and goes with eight or ten. <laughs> um, one of the things that you said that, that really resonated for me and I just thought was super interesting uh, in your role is that time to think, that yeah. time to create. And I think so often, you know, we get so busy in our, you know, in our diaries and our calendar and, you know, what's going on from day to day. And I've got to get through X, Y, Z, that just giving yourself that time to stop and, and think on a regular basis is, you know, really important to the quality of, of the work that you can produce. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I put the reflective pauses in ferocious warmth. So I really wanted people to stop, pause and really think about it and maybe journal. Um, on the way. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Luke. No problem. And uh, if people out there want to connect with you, time to give you your books a bit of a plug. Where can they connect with you and, and, uh, and what else? Yeah, just uh, tracyezard.com is my website. You can email me, tracy at tracyezard.com. There's also uh, the Buzz Academy. So if you put in um, the buzz.academy, then you can have a look at the online portal that supports collaborative learning cultures as well. But I'd love to hear from everyone. And, you know, I love linking on LinkedIn with people too because that's a great platform to have that connection to. Absolutely. Now, for the audience out there, remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and don't forget to share the love and tell a few of your colleagues that you listen to this great podcast called Ed Leaders. You can also sign up at edleaders.com.au or follow... Follow Ed Leaders on LinkedIn or Matt and I, where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Go well. Go well.